0: So in Galatians, the 6th chapter and the 10th verse, and I know you wouldn't have to be turned to this passage of scripture. I don't know how long it's been now that I was preaching through the book of Galatians and I got hung right here. And I'll just tell you that the Lord spoke to my heart and uh, so it's not my fault that I'm stuck here. The Lord has led me to keep preaching from uh, this thought that God is not mocked. What an awesome statement that is. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And I felt led to do it in a positive way, uh, sowing to the Spirit. And he makes the comparison between sowing to the spirit and sowing to the flesh. And so there's a reaping that comes about. I don't have to tell you tonight that there's a reaping that comes about from sowing to the flesh. And that's important. But also there is a good harvest that comes from sowing to the spirit. And as we've already discussed and as Brother Moore has even spoken in his prayer about The Lord seeks after those to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so I appreciate you being here tonight because in being here, you are uh, attempting to sow to the Spirit. To sow to the Spirit. And if that is our desire, and if we do so, we will reap good harvest from that. Now, the part of the series that I'm in right now is prayer. Prayer is a sowing to the Spirit. And and I even dedicated one sermon on the fact that I've stated this so many times that every genuine, real prayer is Spirit-inspired. We are moved by the Spirit in our prayer life. Once a Christian learns that, that this is how it happens it will just absolutely change your attitude about prayer and will inspire you to pray a certain way. And it has me in my life down through the years as I've learned that and have been sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in prayer. And I'm really careful about that. And I've shared with you before that sometimes people will say, Brother Thomas, I want you to pray for me, and I want you to pray for this or that or the other. And oftentimes, I don't. I, I, will, I will simply pray, Lord, show me how, show me how, because I don't know what your will is. Anytime you're praying for someone else, just remember one thing, that not only are you praying, but God also has a purpose and a plan for that person's life too. And we can respect the sovereignty of God as he works in people's life and understand that we must pray in his will. Uh, John tells us in the little book of 1 John in chapter 5 that that's how we're to pray. We're to pray in the will of God. And of course that introduces a brand new concept to that. How do I know God's will? And that's a good question to ask. And a good thing to meditate on and think about. And if if you do that and you realize that the Holy Spirit inspires our prayers. That he puts a burden on our heart for the things we need to pray for. And Paul in Romans tells us we don't know what to pray for. We don't know. It tells us that in the Bible. And so the Spirit helps us. We don't know what to pray for but the Spirit helps us. And I can't remember the exact verse of Scripture... But it may come to me as I go along about our prayers ought to have this uh, theme, ought to have this desire, and this we ought to seek this, and that is God's glory out of what we're praying for. God's glory. Jesus said, and I can't remember the passage, but he said, you, you pray and I'll give you what you pray for, that the Father may be glorified. Now, if you, if you get a hold of that and you say, Now, Lord, in all my prayer life, I want to pray for that which honors you. And I want to pray for that that glorifies you. Now, you, if you, once you get that in your mind and your heart and you're focusing on that in your prayer life, it will change your prayer life. And you will seek God's glory and God's praise for what the things that you pray for. And I will just tell you this, that sometimes bad things happen and God is using bad things to bring about something that he desires. It is his will. Bad things, you see, the Bible says that all things work together for good for them that love him and are the called according to his purpose. So if you're having something bad going on, In your life, you should say, now Lord, I want you to be honored and glorified in my praying, and this is what I'm going to pray for, and this is what I'm seeking and what I'm asking. What I'm seeking and what I'm asking. And so, it will change our life. Now, in this verse, in this verse before us, verse 10, chapter 6 and verse 10, and I've read this several times Uh, Verse 9 had said, let us not be weary in well-doing, but in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And then verse 10 says, as we have therefore opportunity. Now remember, interpreting this verse under the heading of sowing to the Spirit. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. And then this is the part that we're looking at tonight. Especially unto them who are of the household of the faith. Now, I don't know, I preached maybe four or five sermons on Sunday night about doing good to all men. And the the messages were always related to prayer for all men. You know, how do you pray for all men? How do you pray for the uh, uh, unconverted? How do you pray for the unregenerate? How do you pray for them? And oftentimes I've been asked the question over the years, Uh, I have someone that I care a lot for, someone maybe that's a family member, and they're not saved. How do I pray for someone that is not saved? And that's a good question. And there's not a real easy answer, and I think I copped out on that by just simply saying, if the Lord has laid somebody on your heart, then you pray for them. If the Lord has laid some lost person on your heart, and you especially have had an opportunity to witness to them, then you pray that the Lord would honor his word in their life. There's ways to pray for the unsaved, and still recognizing the sovereignty of God as he works in people's lives. I ask that question. Has God ever saved someone just because somebody prayed God save them? And the answer to that is no. But at the same time, God has saved multitudes... Uh, that we're being prayed for, God saved this person, but the, the, but the cause, the heart of that, the cause of that, is that God that was the will of God to save that person. <clears throat> and we have to acknowledge that. We have to understand it as we pray. So for a long time i've addressed that, and tonight we're moving to this part of it, and especially we're to do good to all men. And there's no better to do good for anyone than to pray for them. We're to do good to all men and especially them that are of the household of the faith. Now there's a lot of ways that that can be interpreted as we think about that. We do good. We are good to good to all men, right? We're good. We're nice when we go out here in the world and the way we interact with people, we're nice. We, don't, we try not to offend nobody. We try to be good to them. We try to help them in life. And I know all of you have done, like myself over the years, helped people who were un- unregenerate people to help them in lots of ways, doing good, help them in lots of ways, doing good to all men, but especially them that are the household of the faith. And I have shared with you messages related to that, that over the years, I, I've, I've loved God's people. I've loved my brothers and sisters in Christ and I can't take credit for that. I love you tonight because he first loved me and he put that in my heart. I'm not boasting when I say that. I'm telling you that the Lord has given me the desire to love and be good and care about people. And I do, I really do, but it's not me. As Paul said, I shared that verse this morning, yet not I, but grace that worketh in me. And, and that's, that's not a boastful thing when we say, you know, I really love God's children. I love I my brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's a lot of ways to do good, to go, do good to them, be nice to them. And uh, as I've shared with you before, thinking back over the years in the ministry, what a blessing that has been, because that sowing that brings great reward. And we all know the old saying, you know, you treat people right and they'll treat you right. You know. And it's true. It really is true. And uh, being good to people. And I I have a lot of years behind me of growing close to people, especially the Lord's people, growing close to them, and and then uh, being blessed as a result of that. And... uh, you know, and, and of course, there, there are people that maybe I haven't seen for 30, 40 years, but yet still are in contact with them uh, constantly. And uh, you see, it comes back. You know, it's like, uh, you know, you, you sow it, you put the seed up there, and it just keeps coming back. And I would encourage every Christian just to be good, be good to your brothers and sisters and care about them, and love them, and when the Lord is working in your heart, it will be sincere. You're not having to make it up. You're not having to fake it. You're not having to be a hypocrite about it. Just, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's something that ought to just flow naturally. And I believe that praying for those who are of the household of the faith is something that just flows naturally. You don't even have to think about it. I know that you all are like myself, uh, you, you pray and people come to your heart and people come to your mind and you think about them and you really care and you want them to do well and you want them to succeed and you want them to be healed or whatever and so you're praying because you care. Anybody that claims to be a child of God and don't pray for their brothers and sisters in Christ has got a serious problem. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. You've got a serious problem, and uh, it ought to wake us up. So tonight, we're going to start with that that statement, especially, and that's that's important, especially those who are of the household of the faith. Now, what I want to do for the rest of our service tonight, I want to address that statement that is used in that verse of Scripture. Who in the world is the household of The faith. Who is the household of the faith? In New Testament times, uh, we find this in our Bible. All the religious structures were built around the word "household," around household, and of course, you can discover that by searching the scriptures. And uh, it, it is in the in the New Testament. It's way more expansive than just the family unit. All of us have what we call immediate family. We have immediate family. I have a wife. I have two sons. I have five grandchildren. I have four brothers. And Sue has six uh, brothers and sisters. And these would all be uh, categorized as our immediate family immediate family, and we, we care about them in a unique way. We care about them in a unique way. I love all the kids, but I love mine in a little different way than all the rest of them. It, it doesn't mean I love the rest of them any less, but I, lo- I have a special love, like any parent or grandparent would have, for my, own, for my own. But in the New Testament, it's much more expansive, this household of the faith, than just the immediate family or the family unit. And we find that there's a broad range in the scripture of relatives and kinship and relations of all kinds. A good way to express that, and Brother Moore and I were talking a moment ago about uh, researching uh, uh, Greek Greek statements, Greek words in Hebrew and I never had Hebrew in Bible college. He did. He had Hebrew in school. And uh, I, I didn't necessarily want it, to be honest with you, because I tell you what, it's tough. Hebrew and Greek studies are tough, they really are hard. And uh, I enjoyed my Greek class because of my professor, because of my teacher. He was one unique character, and he could make it so interesting. Uh, Dr. Leo Edelman was his name, and he had two uh, two uh, doctor's degrees he had one in engineering and then his second doctor doctor's degree was in the languages of the Bible Hebrew and greek and and I remember he would be a chapel preacher every once in a while and he'd get up and he'd take the Old testament and he'd just read as fluently as if he was reading in the English, he'd be reading the Hebrew. And of course he got everybody's attention because they didn't know a thing about what he just said. But then he would get into that text and explain it. And uh, I was telling Brother Moore this, that one one day, I, and I remember it so clearly, he said, men, we're going to look at a verse of Scripture. And he turned, turned his uh, chair around on wheels and, and uh, on the blackboard and he wrote the scripture down and it's in the first John and it says he that is born of God sinneth not and I never will forget what he said he said men whole denominations have been built on a misinterpretation of that scripture and he began to explain to us that the in the Greek that the verb is a continuous action verb And what it means is he that is born of God don't just keep on sinning and keep on sinning and keep on sinning. Isn't that something? And so uh, there's a word that, that pretty much describes this subject that I'm sharing with you tonight. And it's the word fellowship. And it's koinonia is the Greek word. Aren't you proud of me for being able to say what that Greek word was? But koinonia simply means this. That which we have in common that which we have in common now we all have immediate family but we got another family tonight we've got another one and it's the family that we belong to it is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's interesting in the New Testament uh, how that's how that is expressed aren't you glad you're in here tonight (laughs) and uh, this is a steel building and it's not going nowhere (laughs) So you just hang in there, don't worry about that. But it's expressed in in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42, talking about the fellowship. And it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayer. And that word fellowship is the things that they had in common, the things they shared in common. What was it? The Holy Spirit was working in their life and the, and the Lord had brought them together and so that was their fellowship. You see that's expressing what the household of God uh, really is. Another one is in the book of 1 Corinthians uh, and I'll, I'll go there and read that one and it's in chapter number 1 in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 and it is in verse number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, and here's what it says, God is faithful by whom we were called unto the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord. We we have a fellowship. And you say, well preacher, is there a, a focus part of that fellowship? Is there something that brings about... That which we share in common and that verse expresses it. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I know that I'm preaching to people tonight who would agree with that. I first come to the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ and the result of that has been my fellowship with my brothers and sisters in him. And so that which we share in common. Another one, right quickly, is in the book of 1 John, and I like this one because it, it describes this really well. In 1 John, and it's in uh, chapter number 1, 1 John chapter 1, and I'll start reading in verse one, 1, John chapter 1, and here's what it says, John speaking, "...that which from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes," which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the word of life. Now he starts it out that way. And notice what he says about it. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifest unto us. And then notice what verse 3 says. It says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. So what is John saying? He's saying true fellowship is built based on one thing. And he's saying here, as a result of your relationship with Jesus Christ and our relationship with Jesus Christ, we have fellowship. We have fellowship. So fellowship is something that, we, that which we share in common. And you say, well, that's a pretty good description of this household of the faith, household of faith. Let me show you another place where that's really described. In the book of First Peter in the book of 1 Peter and chapter 1 and verse 1 and 1 uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 1 no that's it's chapter 3 and verse no I'm sorry I have as a matter of fact I read this one this morning I found it it's in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1 and I I read this one this morning because I was making the point that who is it that Peter is talking to? He's talking to us. You remember? The title of the message this morning is Who are the us? In Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. Who gave himself for us. Who is that? Who is that, you see? And and I was making the point uh, related to uh, the passage where Peter says uh, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness but is long suffer- suffering to usward. And he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And what he's talking about he's not willing that any of us should perish. And that makes all the difference in the world in how we interpret that passage of scripture. And I read verse 1 of chapter 1 because we learn who who he's talking to, he's talking about. And here's what it says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So there's a fellowship there. And like precious faith, is a description of that fellowships. So, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that makes up the uh, household of the faith that he's talking about in this passage of Scripture. And uh, in New Testament times, that was a a common thing. I'll read another one from Acts in chapter 2. And it, it expresses... Uh, that so very well in Acts chapter 2 and verse 46 we find this statement made in Acts chapter 2 and verse 46 and they continued daily in one accord in the temple breaking bread from house to house and ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart so they were continuing daily together and you know when you think about now I'll share if I have enough time uh, some passages of scripture that describe this household of faith actually is a description of the local church. And that's what it's talking about here. And so, uh, also in chapter 5 of the book of Acts, in verse 42, and I'll read that verse, verse 42, and here's what, here's what it says, And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach uh, Jesus Christ. And in the book of Ephesians, in the next book over from where where our text is tonight, in chapter number 2 in Ephesians, and he's talking in the 19th through the 22nd verse about the church being a spiritual temple. And here's what he says. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. No more strangers. Now he's speaking of the Gentile. They were excluded. All through history they were excluded by God's people in the Old Testament. And even when we come to the New Testament they had a a prejudice related to all who were not a Jew. They were a Gentile. And they were unclean. They didn't have anything to do with them. And so when Christ came and he died for us he says, you're, not, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And then he goes on to describe the church when he says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through, through the Spirit. Isn't that something? Through the Spirit. The household of God through the Spirit. So you notice that those descriptions are, are, are given and how expressive they are. And of course in the, in the New Testament, uh, there was a connection between the household and the way God was working talking about the, the household that we experience, our immediate family. And in the, in the Acts chapter number 10, uh, it, uh, the, the uh, illustration of Cornelius, when Cornelius' uh, awesome story that is given there. And it talks about who he was, and it says that he was in verse 2 of chapter 10, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house. Which gave us alms to the people and prayed to God always. You know he prayed. It's it's amazing the illustrations that are given in the book of Acts about people who attempted to worship without knowing the Lord. Now they are they were Cornelius was one of them, but he was a man that he 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 would seek God. He would seek God, and in the fourth verse it says, and when he. Looked on, uh, talking about the angel that spoke to him. When he looked on him, he, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. You see, this is describing a process that was taking place prior to him coming to know the Lord as his personal Savior, making his profession of faith, and talking about. The household... Let's see if I can find it. Uh, talking about the household. And it says... Um, uh, when Peter... Of course, he, he was told to sin for Peter. And Peter was up on the rooftop. And he had this vision of animals being let down. And some of them he thought to be unclean. And the Lord spoke to him and told him, Whatever I've made is not unclean. And he was illustrating to Peter... That he's not to see the Gentile as being someone unclean. And they're going to sin for him. And he's going to go to the house of Cornelius. And he's going to preach to them. He's going to preach to them. In the 44th verse of that chapter, And while Peter yet spake the word, the Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the word. Now this is his whole family. You see, this is amazing that his entire family was saved at the same time. And in that 11th chapter and the 14th verse, And who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And so all the house was saved. And so household is a really important word when we are considering our text. But not only was that true of Cornelius, but it was also true of Lydia also. And we know the story of her Uh, all too well and in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts it tells that and it says in the 14th verse of that chapter and a certain woman named Lydia seller of purple in the city of Thyatira which worshiped God heard us whose heart the Lord opened and she attended unto the things which were spoken by Paul isn't that amazing the heart has to be opened the heart has to be opened and it says in the fifteenth verse, and when she was baptized, and her household, household, God saved the whole household, all of them, and not only that, but the Philippian jailer, uh, in that same chapter. And it says, you know, that uh, they caught Paul and Silas and throwed them in jail, and uh, they uh, they they were singing at midnight. They were praying and singing praise, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, and the prison was opened, and the prisoners were escaped, and the keeper of the prisoner was awakened from his sleep, and seeing the prison door open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. You see, he was responsible for them, and Paul cried with a loud voice, "Do not do thyself no harm." And of course, they come to. Be saved, and it says in verse thirty-one. And they said, "Believe on the." And and they brought him out and said, "Sirs, what must I do?" And he said, uh, "He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved." In thy house, and they spake unto him the word of God and the, of word of the Lord, and all that were in his house, they were all saved. So you see, household, and and I think the reason that the Bible does this, but not only that, but a man named Crispus in the 18th chapter of Acts, he was saved in all of his household too. Now, I I know I've thought a lot about this, and I'm sure that many of you have had questions related to that. You know, it's amazing how that uh, a mother and a father, and they are faithful to the Lord, God has saved them, and they want to see their children saved, and they want to see their grandchildren saved, And it's amazing, I've watched it all down through the years, that it happens because the Word is the important part. Lord chose to save people where His Word was preached and shared. And that's the reason we have a commission. Go into all the world and preach the Gospel. Preach the Gospel to every creature. We all know God honors His Word. He honors His Word. So if you want your friends and you... Relatives to be saved. This is what's important. I told you not long ago that uh, I more more than witnessing to people with scripture. I, I invite people to church. I really do, and sometimes I'm successful. Sometimes I'm not. I've got four or five on my heart, even at this time. That lately I've been inviting and I keep aggravating them and aggravating them and aggravating them. You see, I understand something. You get people in the presence of the gospel being preached, and the Lord will honor it. He always has, and He always will. Not only unsaved people, but even saved people who may be out of fellowship with the Lord. Get them in church. Go, go to them and put handcuffs on them. If you ain't got no handcuffs, i got to i I'll, I'll be gladly share 'em share them with you. One time in Bible school, uh, it, it, the theme of Bible school was something like uh, the law or whatever. And I remember Bobby Burns. He used to take a great interest in Bible school. And he'd try to get the boys to win the offerings. And he'd bring... Loads and loads. Anytime the boys over the past years won the competition between the boys and the girls giving, Bobby Burns was the reason the boys won. (laughs) And and Beverly will tell you about that. But one time, one time he gave me, uh, I don't remember what it was. It was related to the theme of the study. It might have been a badge or it might have been, it was handcuffs. I do remember that. And so if you don't have no handcuffs to get your family and your acquaintances and friends to come to church, I'll loan you the handcuffs that Bobby Burns gave me. I've got them. I've got those handcuffs. And Beverly, if you just really want them and need them, I'll give them to you. She should shook her head no. She don't have no use for them. Well, you might. There may be some of your family you want to put handcuffs on and get them in the Lord's house. And so God honors His Word. The household of the faith... That's so important that we understand what that is. And then we can obey what the Scriptures teach us about praying for them. Father, we thank and praise you for this opportunity we've had together this evening and to meditate on the meaning of that, what it means. And by knowing what it means, we can be faithful in carrying out the challenge of the Word of God related to it. And Father, you know that I know in my heart that there's a duty that I have to the household of the faith. And I, my prayer is that all of your children that are part of Emmanuel Baptist Church might be impressed with the duty that is related to that as it comes to prayer. So speak to our hearts tonight as we close this service. In Jesus' name and for His sake we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? Rick will lead us in a closing number.